This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Hello, hello. Happy Tuesday. You're listening to Let's Go There with Shira and not Ryan because Ryan is out today, but Char Cell is filling in. Yes, I'm back. I, whether you love it or hate it, I'm we back. Love it. We love it. <laughs> so happy to have you here. Trust me, it's better than being alone. Yes, I'm glad to be here with you, Shira. We have not worked together in well over a year, so this How is, is that fun. possible? It's this crazy. Is this it's... is the first time we're seeing each other since COVID. In person, at least. Mm-hmm. That is true. We've seen each other virtually. Well, I'm so happy we got through this, and you're here on the other side with me. Yes, me too. And I uh, appreciate you for hanging out with us and listening to our show. Of course, we cover everything from news pop culture, our crazy lives, and we've got some fun music in between right here on Channel Q. And coming up on the show, with all these vaccine incentives being announced, what's the craziest one? We're going to be talking about uh, that. The craziest one is probably the French fries for New York with the Shake Shack. (laughs) Well, that's that, probably yeah. one of the most most delicious ones for I sure. Know, I know. You know, it's, that got called out by this guy like, why, why are you pushing this unhealthy stuff? Oh, I gosh. saw this guy on TikTok being like, really? You're going to give us French fries? Because French fries, what's more American than a French fry? I mean, uh, yeah. And, they're go- and we're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like even if you're... Uh, you eat healthy or you don't. I don't want to like shame yeah. diet lifestyles or anything. But fries are just good. Fries are good. And there are a lot of people. I remember Michelle Obama credit that to her like cheat meal. Like uh, French fries are good. That Potatoes are good. That and popcorn are like, I, I don't feel like I'm eating unhealthy when I'm eating those things. Mm. And also we're going to be talking about why hasn't a vaccine showed up for HIV AIDS when it took so little time for a COVID-19 vaccine. Mm. That's also coming up with our favorite infectious diseases expert, Dr. Michael Sag at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. It was announced today that North Carolina sheriff's deputies were justified in fatally shooting a black man during an attempted arrest last month. No charges will be filed against law enforcement. And here's District Attorney Andrew Womble. After reviewing the investigation conducted by the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, Mr. Brown's death, while tragic, was justified because Mr. Brown's actions caused three deputies with the Pasquotank County Sheriff's Office to reasonably believe it was necessary to use deadly force to protect themselves and others. And 
Andrew Brown Jr. was 42, killed while behind the wheel of his car on April 21st in Elizabeth City at Pasquatank County Sheriff's deputies um, as they were serving a warrant for his arrest on felony drug charges. I have to be totally honest with you. I knew nothing about this. And I think it's because just as a black woman in America, I've just been unplugged. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's terrible. I wish that I had a hot take, but literally I do not know. I, I cannot afford. I think my nervous system is just in shock. Like, I cannot emotionally afford to dedicate any more time to some of the things that happen in this country. That makes sense, including when it happens so much. Yeah. It's like every week, it seems like. And so it's just like, what do you want me to do? I mean, that just sharing that and sharing your truth, that's all you can do right yeah, now. I'm, I'm burnt. I'm spent. I'm spent. But I am going to look, investigate it because I want to form an opinion on this. Mm-hmm. But I had never even I hadn't even heard of this. But I also took a social media break. So that <laughs> makes sense. It's a mixture of all of it. I think we yeah. did report about this. And it, it's interesting how quickly uh, this was uh, this came out. But. I'm sure there will be more we're going to hear about this as time continues and as this probably will get fought by his family. Now, uh, Tennessee Governor Bill Lee has signed a bill that will require businesses and public buildings to post signs letting cisgender customers know that they serve transgender people like any other customer. A lot of people are saying this is obviously transphobic. You know, forcing, It's extremely transphobic. Forcing, uh, forcing these stores or public spaces to post a sign saying that you are allowed in here. It's like very shaming it's as well. It's very Jim Crow. That's what it sounds like. Like this, this, I, it's literally like as, as a, again, like I spoke to my blackness in the first story. Now I can speak to my transness. This is ridiculous. This is harmful. And I'm so, 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 so sick yeah. of the right literally weaponizing trans identities and using trans bodies as a political smokescreen because they do not want to address the real issues in this country. So it's just so easy to point all of their vitriol to, to, to an already vulnerable and marginalized community. It's extremely yep. frustrating and it's not right, Tennessee. Get it together. That is true. And, you know, at a federal level, I would hope Biden would speak up against stuff like this. We'll see. I'm not holding my breath, Shira. Well, let's get into the (laughs) CDC. They shared that 60% of American adults have gotten at least one dose of a coronavirus vaccine. In addition, more than 4.1 million young people ages 12 to 17 received their first dose. In the past week, 51% of those vaccinated in the U.S. were people of color. That's higher than 40% of the general population. The, uh, those groups represent. So basically, the CDC is saying we're in a good place, better place than we were. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Shar? Well, Naomi Campbell, the real and first top model. Okay. No shade to Tyra. Love her too. But Naomi Campbell just announced that she welcomed her first child, which is a baby girl. She's a mom. The 50-year-old supermodel made a surprise announcement earlier this morning on Instagram. Uh, She captioned the photo, a beautiful little blessing has chosen me to be her mother. So honored to have have this gentle soul in my life. There are word, no words to describe this lifelong bond that I now share with you, my angel. There is no greater love. Now, it's unclear who the father is or whether Naomi, you know, had a surrogate or carried, even though I personally think that she had a surrogate. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. I feel like if she would have carried, there would have been a paparazzi right. or some type of, le- like, you know, when she or goes some to some sort the- of beauty shot. Or like, OBGYN. And I also do not think, based on the way that Naomi posts, hmm. I don't think that she would have concealed her pregnancy personally. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so congratulations to Naomi Campbell. I'm very excited for her. And she's always wanted to be a mom. That's what a source told Page Six. I love it. And doing it at 50, it shows you can have it 
at every age. Oh, producer Vanessa thinks it's irresponsible. Well, you know, Tamron Hall, my beloved Tamron Hall, had welcomed her son at 49, and she's doing just fine. So, And I think that we need to really examine how things have changed. 50 yeah. is arguably the new 30, depending on how you live your life and how young your spirit is. Which means we'll die at 100 or 100. Now, I see, think I I'm going to die at 111. I want the, the lucky number. 111. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. We should have a bigger conversation about this. We do. About we women should. having kids at, at older ages and if that is irresponsible or what's the story around that? I think it's uh, it leads back, all back to personal choice. But, of course. you know, when Naomi's daughter is 20, Naomi will be 70. So... I guess it it's a sticky, it's a slippery slope. Exactly. All right, we'll get into it in a bit. Uh, but coming up on the show, parents, you're about to get monthly child tax credit payments. Cha-ching, what you need to know next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Monthly payments are coming through the new federal enhanced child tax credit beginning July 15th for families out there. Carmen Reinecke joins us right now, a reporter for CNBC's Invest in You. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so it will go to roughly 39 million households representing 88% of children in the U.S. How much can parents actually expect? Yeah, that's a great question. So it depends on how many eligible children there are in the household. Um, so the enhanced credit uh, for 2021 is $3,600 for children younger than age six and 3000 for those between six and 17. Uh, and that will actually, for most people, um, come in monthly installments, as you said, that will start July 15th. So that'll be 300 per month for children that are under the age of six, and then 250 per month for older children. And um, that goes for, you know, each child in each household, there's no limit. Um, if you have 10 kids and they're all under 17, you'll get something for each of the 10 children. Um and it is additive. So, you know, if you have multiple children, you'll get each of uh, the, the payments they're eligible for each month. Hi, this is Char Jossel. Um, I have a question ar- around unmarried couples. How do qualifications mm-hmm. for unmarried couples work? And will the funds like how do how are the funds distri- distributed? Excuse me, evenly for unmarried couples. That's a great question. So for unmarried couples, the um, the benefit will go to who's ever claiming the child in that tax year. Um, and any splitting, I'm guessing, would have to be worked out between the parents. Um, this is also why the IRS has said that it will roll out a couple of different portals for taxpayers to update their information. Like, for example, if you're uh, an unmarried couple and you claim a child as a dependent on, um, you know, every other year, uh, you may need to update with the IRS saying, you know, parent A is going to claim the credit this year in 2021, even though parent B claimed the child as a dependent in 2020. Um, And so, so that's how it will work. So far, the credit, this new enhanced credit is only for tax year 2021. Um, but there is legislation in the works and, you know, some Democrats, including Biden, that have pushed for it to um, go for longer. So either through 2025 or there are some that are arguing for it to be made permanent. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, when does this end? 
And mm-hmm. and uh, will there are there any naysayers who think that parents and families shouldn't be getting this? Yeah. So currently, it's only um, scheduled to go through tax year twenty twenty one. Um, but as I said, Biden has pushed for it to go through 2025 and there are other Democrats that want it to be permanent. Um, the one thing I will say, so the, this is just the enhanced credit, um, the child tax credit, uh, which is, you know, a smaller, little bit of a smaller credit than, than this one, um, it goes to most American families and has for years. So even if this enhanced benefit goes away, Parents and, you know, families with, ch- with children will still be receiving the child tax. Um, it just might look a little different and it might not continue as, you know, monthly payments, which, you know, obviously for a lot of families uh, can be really, really helpful. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So how will this affect taxpayers? Like, I'm a single woman, okay? I'm mm-hmm. unmarried and I have no children. How will this affect right. me as far as my tax dollars? Because it always seems like there's scarcity when it comes to giving people money, like with unemployment and all the things, especially like even with like COVID bailouts. How how will this affect people who are childless as far as tax paying is concerned? This, it really shouldn't affect you at all. Honestly, it's just a credit that will go to um, those that have dependent children that are eligible okay. and with incomes that are eligible. Okay. Well, I think this is so great. What if your family doesn't need this? Can you opt out or give that money? Or you, I guess you just do what you want to do with the money. <laughs> so there is an upper, you know, lim- there is a limit, right? So if you um, are making, you know, over $400,000 annually as a, a married couple or $200,000 as an individual, um, you're not going to get the credit because um, at that point, I guess you wouldn't need it. You can opt out of the monthly payments for the enhanced credit, but not the credit as a whole. So how that works is um, basically the monthly payments are in advance on a 2021 tax credit. So by getting them ahead of time, um, you're basically going to get less of a refund than you might if you claimed the entire credit when you file your 2021 taxes, which is an option. Um, So if you don't want... The monthly payments, you can opt out of them. That's another one of the IRS portals that will be rolled out. Um, And that just means that you'll get everything, the entire credit is a lump sum, like in your refund when you file your 2021 taxes. Um, As it stands, everyone Mm -hmm. is going to get half of the credit that way because we're starting it in July. So basically, the monthly payments will go July through December, and then the second half of the credit Uh, people will get when they file their 2021 taxes. Um, So that's what opting out means, just opting out of getting, you know, that monthly either direct deposit, check, or or debit card. Um, And some people might just like to get a larger tax refund. That can be really uh, helpful. Yep. Kind of help you save. Um, And if you feel like you don't need it, you could, I guess, you know, you could donate it. You can put it to use in other ways um, if uh, Yes, Carmen, thank you so much. Yeah, we, we need to wrap up, but this has been really uh, great information. That was Carmen Reinecke, reporter for CNBC's Invest in You. Thanks again for being here. Coming up with all the vaccine incentives out there, which one is the best? We'll discuss that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. 
From college scholarships to alcohol and even a $1 million lottery, states are going all out with vaccine incentives. But, you know, Shara and I were talking about this during the break. It's not really fair because we got the vaccine. Where were our incentives? Right. right. Where's my reward? I got my vaccine <laughs> back in March. And it's just like, uh, now you guys have a, a million dollars potentially on the table. Right. Like, Where's our reward for the people who were kind of leading the charge in all of this? Well, the good people. Like, that's the thing. In the good place, you can only do it good if you don't, you're don't. you doing it because there's no reward. Yeah. Right? That's the, that's the unfortunate thing. It's a million thing. dollars on the table, Sheila. Yes, we deserve. <laughs> Dr. Kevin Volp joins us, behavioral economist, physician, professor at Penn Medicine and Wharton School, as we dive into the psychology behind these incentives. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So is the lottery a good idea? This is happening in Ohio. How are they doing this? Well, I agree with both of you that ideally people should do this because of their own internal motivation and desire to stay healthy, and we shouldn't be paying anybody anything. Uh, That said, the Ohio lottery design has a very good property, which is basically anyone who's been vaccinated. So, for example, people like the two of you would be eligible for the million dollars. And the way they're doing this is they're looking at the voter registration rolls and picking one person a week over a five week period. And if you've been vaccinated, you, if you're over age 18, would get a million dollars. And if you're under age 18, you would get a college scholarship for four years to a university in Ohio. That is so fascinating to know. Like, I've just been kind of trying my best to keep my finger to the pulse of all of the different incentives. Because, you know, depending on where you live, you know, you could get a Krispy Kreme donut. Or as we mentioned (laughs) at the top of the show, you know, New York City is giving the Shake Shack free fries. How effective do you think these incentives are for vaccines just as a whole, well, specifically as it relates to COVID, do you think that these incentives, I guess, will be effective? Will it drive people out to really do what they're supposed to? I think a lot depends on a few things. One is, for example, how much do you like Krispy Kreme donuts? (laughs) If you really like Krispy Kreme donuts, it might actually be pretty effective. You know, you can get one every day for free. But In all seriousness, I I think a lot of it does depend on the nature of the incentive being offered. And as you mentioned, it varies quite a bit from state to state. I think it's hard to know whether Delaware, for example, is offering $100 gift cards or savings bonds. You know, that's a fair amount of money. It's probably enough to get people's attention on whether you will be motivated by getting a free drink. That, to me, is more of a question that doesn't seem if somebody really has vaccine hesitancy that's probably not going to have much impact so there are of course a variety of reasons why people aren't getting vaccinated and some of it depends on how how entrenched that resistance is as opposed to whether it's just a little bit of inertia and getting yourself there i do think this ohio initiative is interesting it's really the first time we've seen really large dollar prizes being put out there as a carrot to motivate people to engage in health behaviors. And I I think there's a reasonable chance that that could really, I mean, it certainly will get people's attention and there's a reasonable chance that it could lead a fair number of people to get vaccinated who otherwise might have dragged their feet. Yeah, definitely. I feel like the other states are like 
why did you have to do this? This is making us look bad. Like, we're just offering, like, fries I, or a shot. Yeah, and I wonder how this will affect the booster shots. Like, are oh, you yeah, going to put a million dollars that? on the table for the follow-up? That's inevitably yeah. going to come with all these variants floating around? Well, that's that's one of my concerns about this approach. I, I think there are a number of reasons why a financial incentive for vaccination could be useful and it certainly in the short term could increase rates but i don't know that it's longer term a good strategy for the country if you think about the likelihood that we're going to need booster shots perhaps repeatedly i i think it sets a precedent that may not be entirely desirable now one thing that's probably worth saying is that the ohio lottery while it certainly is getting the headlines because of the fact there's not only one but five million dollar prizes per person it might not end up costing that much and if you do the math let's i mean it it, it all depends on how many extra people get vaccinated but there are about 11 million people in ohio about five million people have been vaccinated let's say that a million people get vaccinated because of this campaign if that ignoring the college tuition but just focusing on the million dollar prizes that would cost about five dollars a person wow which isn't that much and it's a lot less than for example giving everyone a hundred dollar gift card so interesting that is the psychology behind this it actually makes sense dr kevin volp thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me now coming up another giuliani running for governor more details on the big announcement next Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Son of Rudy Giuliani is running for New York governor. Yes, we have another Giuliani who's going to try to lead New Yorkers. No, thank you. I'm not a New Yorker, but hard pass. (laughs) Here is 35-year-old Andrew Giuliani announcing his 2022 bid. Yeah, he's young. And uh, also talking about how his uh, dad, Rudy, I I guess is an inspiration and how he's he'll use his dad during his campaign. When you've got the greatest prosecutor in the history of the Southern District and you've got the greatest mayor, not this, not just in the history of New York, but in the history of America, you're foolish if you don't use him as an asset. Okay. Well, uh, Cuomo, as we know, who's currently the New York governor, he hasn't actually announced whether he will run for a fourth term, but we know he's in hot water. Yes, he is. And I have to say, looking at this clip, I'm no ageist now, but this man looks like he's at, at the very least 45. So I was very confused when I said 35. No, I'm like, I, I watched, promise. I watched the clip as we were prepping for the show. I'm 33. This man is two years older than me. Yeah, yeah. And he looks 15 years older than me. I'm checking this out. According to CNN, he is 35. Okay, I guess. Right? I mean, you lose track of age as you get older. I guess when you're a Giuliani, you just, you know, that does something to your soul and your skin. (laughs) So the question is, at this point, like, who would you rather have leading New York, right? Because you have Cuomo, who is being investigated by the Office of New York Attorney General Letitia James, and... This he, is tough. Yeah, he's is is going tough. through a lot. He's being scrutinized for how he handled COVID and uh, not uh, giving a, the data or that or reporting the right data around those in nursing homes. Yeah, this this is tough. <laughs> and Look, the scandal, all oh, the sex scandal. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Like as a woman who's totally, you know, pro Me Too movement, this is a, a sticky situation to be in because um, politics are already a little wonky. But I'd have to say, uh, I think. 
that I would lean lean towards Cuomo. And I'm only saying that because I just fundamentally, like, even just saying the name Giuliani just makes me want to just hurl, (laughs) for lack of better words. Um, Rudy Giuliani was a terror to black and brown people when he was in charge of New York, and he aligned himself with Trump. So due to my own personal politics, I just can't, I don't trust any Giuliani's, but... That's not to say I'm not saying that Cuomo is like flaw free, but you know what, Shira? I'm glad this is not my problem. I'm on the West Coast. Right? It gives they anxiety. Have to deal with this. You're like, I'll stay here. That's the thing. When I think about Giuliani, unfortunately, now I do think about his hair stuff, just like Ooh, yeah. the dye. I think about Borat. Yeah, and Borat, like all these whole, these things. That's in my mind. It way. will be interesting, though. What worries me is, you know, he talked to CNN, this the younger Giuliani, the one running now, saying that he thinks it's going to be the biggest race in the country if it's the two of us. That was according to Trump. So I feel like they think it's just going to be another big show. And we're all just like victims of this show. Between yeah, we have to pay two, the price. The exactly. constituents have to pay the price. <laughs> exactly. So get out there and vote. Vote, people. Vote, vote, vote. Yep. And what do you think? Who would you uh, vote for, actually? At LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. But coming up next on the show, Drew Barrymore reveals why she originally supported Woody Allen. More details next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yeah, bitch, Shira here. Thanks for hanging out with us as we continue. Let's go there here on Channel Q Radio weekdays, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Shar Josel joins me filling in for Ryan today. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm having a great time with you, Shira. I hope you're having a great time with me. Of course I am. We got the queens ruling the studio right right now. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Also, we're both wearing army green. I know. Well, I call this olive green. Oh, really? Yeah. I guess it was. Mine is an army jacket. That's why. Got you. But I do like olive green. Oh, and then Vanessa, producer Vanessa, too. And you can check Shira's Instagram for our twinning selfie that we did. Or LGBT show. Yeah, at Shira Lazar, at Shar Says So. Yes. Well, coming up this hour, many of us hate the sounds of our voices. Even if you do on air for a living, Mm -hmm. sometimes it could be hard to listen to yourself back. Yeah, I grew up singing, and so I feel like I just kind of got used to it. But I do agree. Sometimes I'm like, oh. Exactly. (laughs) But most people, this is the case. So we're going to tell you why you might hate the sound of your voice in 15 minutes. Plus, why Drew Barrymore says she was gaslit by Woody Allen in the T-Report. With Shar, of course, in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't want a bipartisan commission to study the January 6th Capitol insurrection. Of course she doesn't. Instead, she pitched this. We should have a commission to study the violent BLM and Antifa mobs that have plagued American cities this past summer. And that's for the American. The American people, I think, or, you know, basically she continues to uh, say things that I totally just just ignore this woman. She is just vile. She's I hate to be like that person, but she's what's wrong with this country, in my opinion. Like she is real. It's it's terrible. Some of the things that she says is just so terrible. And why deflect? Like literally these people stormed the Capitol and were threatening to you know, take people's lives. There are people that die. Like, why deflect from the issue at hand? And I, I'm i so sick of Republicans bending over backwards to try to, I guess, rewrite history. Like, hello, we were all, we all had a front row seat to what happened January 6th. It's almost like the playbook of sociopaths. Thick or of their beloved 45th president. All that stuff. <laughs> uh, yes, those folks who were arrested, who, by the way, most of them have just gotten off. Of that course. they're still being unfairly treated. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on.
into taxes, shall we? We've been talking about, oh, yes. you know, money. Yesterday was tax day. I hope you all, uh, that was the last day to file without oh, penalties. I should probably ping my folks. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I did that <laughs> already. I lose track, honestly. I, like, I lose track of time. President Joe Biden and VP Kamala Harris released their 2020 tax returns yesterday, resuming a decades-long tradition by those holding the offices. As we know, President Trump did not release his. The New York Times did expose him in September of 2020, saying that he paid just $750 in federal income taxes in the year he took office in 2017. Okay, we already know that. Let's get to the money from Biden and Harris. So Biden and First Lady Jill Biden reported $607,000, a bit over that, in adjusted gross income, more than 157000 in federal tax paid, and a uh, federal tax rate of 25.9%, which I don't even get what that all means, but I find the the amount of money being released interesting. Like, mm-hmm. I always like knowing how much money they were making. Yeah. Are you intrigued by that? Yeah, I'm always, I mean, it's a reminder of, you know, I look at my Chase account like, oh, must be nice. Right? <laughs> so... Harris and second gentleman Doug Emhoff reported nearly 1.7 million in gross income. Okay, wow. they paid over 600,000 in federal taxes. That's a good chunk of money. Yeah. And Biden's income did drop significantly from 2019, uh, and that's probably because he, you know, has pre- he has certain things he can't necessarily do as president. Right, right. right? And and moving into his campaign then. So very interesting stuff over there. Now, the Tokyo Medical Practitioners Association, representing uh, 6,000 primary care doctors, said hospitals in the Olympics' host city have their hands full and have almost no spare capacity amid a surge in COVID-19 infections. Tokyo Summer Olympics are coming up July 23rd, but that is very worrisome. No one's going to want to go there. It's really unfortunate. Mm -hmm. But that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in Entertainment News, Shar? So Drew Barrymore is the latest celebrity to publicly distance herself from Woody Allen. Now, if you're like me, Shira, I don't know if you watched mm-hmm. that HBO Max uh, Woody Allen uh, documentary situation. I couldn't put myself through it. No, I only got through part one. I was My stomach was turning. I just couldn't do it. But anyway, uh, Drew said that she was quote-unquote gaslit into working with him. The 46-year-old actress admitted to Dylan Farrow, who's Woody Allen's adopted daughter, that she regrets starring in the controversial filmmaker's movie Everyone Says I Love You, which was released in 1996, four years after Pharaoh accused Alan of sexually abusing her as a child. Mm. Now, a lot of people I saw on the interwebs, people are calling BS. What say you, Shira Lazar? People are saying, you know, in a post-Me Too world, you know, Drew is attempting to right her wrongs. But mm, 1996 was a very different time. But still, even still with these accusations afoot, do you think Drew should have taken this job? Well, of course, now in hindsight, it's easy to be like, why didn't you know? It was a different time, right? I mean, and she's but it was now publicly known. But, but so many people were still working with him. It's not just her. Yes, that is true. And so and Hollywood was still accepting him. I mean, he had major movies. By the way, I, I saw this say movie. They still do accept him. <laughs> I think it's it's on the edge right now. But what's like his last movie I saw that I really liked? It was the one in Paris with uh, girl. I wouldn't know. Anyway, <laughs> so I mean, there are some movies that you know that are classics that I like, and I have a hard time liking them now. Of course, I'm happy she said something. She needed to say something because in the end, she's worked with him. And what's wild is that he's 85 years old and he's never been criminally charged or prosecuted. Yep. Mm. It happens. Where I'm happy she said something, but look, there's others like Scarlett Johansson who I don't think she still says anything or she acts like she still defends him. Yeah, I, this is, it's also sick to me, honestly.
But at least Drew is attempting to right her wrongs, and exactly. she said it to Dylan's face. Okay. Well, coming up, why well, hearing your voice is so difficult. We discuss that next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, do you feel uncomfortable listening to your own voice? There are times. Does it sound different in your head versus when you play it back? Oh my gosh, yes. It does. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I feel like there is a connection. The one time that I think it's different is when I sing. I always think I sing better than when I listen to it back. (laughs) I feel like that's common. That's common. Well, there's a reason why this happens. Okay, Dr. Neil Bott joins us right now, assistant professor in otolaryngology and in neck surgery at the University of Washington (laughs) School of Medicine. Did I pronounce that right? It was close. Otolaryngology. Okay, Thank you. Appreciate it. So, psychologically, why is this the case? Uh, Because I'm fascinated by the power of our voice, and it's something that we don't really think about, but yet it's such a big part of who we are. Absolutely. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I I agree. Um, It's very fascinating, and a lot of my day I spend thinking about voice, uh, seeing patients with various voice disorders. And there clearly is a idea of self when we think about what we sound like. And then when you're sort of confronted with a recording of your voice, it's essentially a new voice. It sounds different than how you've always perceived yourself. And for that reason, it can be somewhat unsettling. And there's probably a mix of psychology and physiology as to why that happens. How common is it for people to hear their voice and actually like it? Because I feel like everyone that I talk to is like, oh, girl, like I broadcast for a living. And like I mentioned, in, as we as you were being introed, there are even times that I listen back at stuff and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, if it's early in the morning and my voice is deeper yep. or, you know. Right. No, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I, I would say the majority of patients I see tend to be a little uncomfortable with the sound of their voice. That being said, I I think that there is a specific subset of people and, you know, maybe, maybe you're one of those people who are almost hyper aware of their own voice. Um, I notice it in, you know, singers, performers, uh, people who often are confronted with recordings of their voice a lot of times. And so they're able to pick up on subtle changes And so, you know, I don't want to say that everybody finds the recording of their voice to be um, a 
problem. There's some people who can really pick up on subtle changes. And, you know, ultimately, that's the most important thing. It's it's, it's our perception of our voice, because when patients come to clinic, that's that's what we're treating. We're treating um, how we perceive our voice. So those are still very important things, even if ultimately um, there can be a mismatch between what you're hearing and what you're really emitting. So that's so interesting. So when you work with patients, how do you get them to have a more healthy relationship with their voice? Great point. You know, I, I think that acknowledging their symptoms is center and primary to the whole treatment plan. You know, um, sometimes when we have performers, there's something very specific that they're feeling. You know, maybe it's a specific pitch glide or maybe it's a pitch that they used to be able to hit that they're not able to hit. And, you know, you could go to lots of different doctors or speech pathologists. And I think that the importance is acknowledging that what they're perceiving is real Hmm. and our job in clinic is to really identify what that specific issue is and so once we can kind of have a shared understanding of what the actual deficit is then we can sort of talk about what therapy or you know surgeries or treatments medications are necessary to get to the heart of the issue I noticed that like within a lot of women, like sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. like performers, like you just mentioned, singers will have children and then, you know, their voice is deeper. And even with like myself, if I go back and look at a reel from like 2014, my voice is like higher. Why is it that as like as women mature, uh, our voices tend to deepen? Yeah, it can be a whole host of reasons both how you're using your voice and how your instrument is anatomically. Um, Very simplistic, but I often think of our vocal folds or what makes our voice sort of like guitar strings. There's a lot of differences, but just go with me for a second. And so, you know, as your vocal folds um, might pick up a little bit of swelling, maybe from various irritants or reflux, they can take on a little water look a little edematous or swollen and that can make the guitar strings look a little bit uh, thicker and that drops the pitch and you know in the clinic we're routinely looking at folks vocal folds um, to see can we pick up on these subtle changes qualities of the vocal cords so hard to say why your pitch has dropped but it's possible that there could be just a slight amount of uh swelling on your vocal cords. Yeah, and I thought also just when you feel more comfortable with yourself, you're more in your diaphragm than your throat. Like women tend totally. to go, hi, versus hi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, and finally, right. how do you know when you need to work on your voice? Like when do you, should people get support? Yeah, you know, I think that voice is central to many professions. Ultimately, we use our voice a lot during the day and mm-hmm. If people are having impairment, inability to do their job, and that can be anyone, teachers, lawyers, uh, fitness instructors, and they're really having to push harder and harder to get their voice out, um, sometimes it's, that, that's, that's enough of a reason to uh, see someone about their voice. And I'm often shocked, you know, um, people are a little hesitant to come, thinking that there's nothing that can be done. But, you know, I work very closely with speech, language, pathologists, who look at the behavioral aspects of voice um, therapies, and together we come up with a treatment plan 
to hopefully improve patients' uh, voice and make them more functional. Does it insurance pay for this? Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. you know what? Because I do have a swallowing issue. <laughs> What? A, yeah, no, I, I get a lot of because I um, have allergies. Post-nasal no, trip. Right, we're getting that's really... A to, that's a topic for another know, segment, this is girl. Thing. But like, no, I tend to hear myself on air, and I'm sorry for everyone listening. I will swallow. <laughs> this is getting oh bad. Goodness. But I, I, Dr. Neil Bott, thank you so much. I need <laughs> help. I'm going to call you. <laughs> Sounds great. Again, Dr. Bott is an assistant professor in otolaryngology. Got that right. Perfect. Yes, at the University of Washington School of Medicine. Thanks again. Coming up on the show, as COVID-19 vaccines are rolling out, many are asking if a vaccine for HIV AIDS is in our future. Some answers next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It has been 37 years since HIV was discovered as the cause of AIDS, and there is no vaccine. Yet we have one for COVID-19 in only a few months. So what's the story? Dr. Michael Sag is back with us. Not only is he an infectious diseases expert, but he's the director of the UAB Center for AIDS Research and a professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases there. Thanks for joining us again for this. It's great to be back with you. So as someone who has really been on the front lines of the AIDS and HIV crisis and the research, what do you say to this question that keeps on coming up? Well, I think, For starters, when folks started talking about a COVID vaccine back in March of last year, those of us who've been involved with HIV kind of said, whoa, good luck with that. We've been working on uh, an HIV vaccine for uh, almost three and a half decades. So it it takes a lot of effort and and work. And the fact that it was developed so well and so quickly um, within just, as you said, months, really just nine or ten months, um, as a testimony to two things. One, the background work that HIV provided uh, more or less a roadmap on how to get this done. And two, that COVID is a much easier target and uh, is, is a easier thing to make a vaccine against. And we can go into details if you want, but the bottom line is uh, it's, it's those two things. I guess the third thing is we got really lucky. <laughs> it worked out well. Now, we know that uh, HIV can affect anyone. But I have to ask, do you personally think that homophobia has anything to do with this extreme delay in the sense of urgency for a vaccine? No, I can say with great assurance that uh, that is really not at play. I've been uh, not as directly involved in the HIV vaccine work, but I can tell you there have been people who have dedicated their entire career to developing an HIV vaccine Back in the early 90s, we thought we had one, um, and it just didn't pan out. Uh, So there's a lot of not just people and science and effort. There's been a lot of money that has been invested in development of an HIV vaccine. The reason it's so difficult is that HIV mutates very quickly. COVID virus does some, but not nearly to the degree that HIV does. And so that makes it hard to find a a unilateral uniform Achilles heel, if you will, that's been rough. The second thing is, is that HIV attacks the immune system directly, Mm -hmm. which makes it even more difficult of a target. COVID has impact on the immune system, but it's not really attacking it. But I I would say unequivocally that it has uh, nothing to do with any other social or uh, other things. It's just a tough egg to crack. When a pandemic like this 
comes up and becomes the full focus of the medical community. Do you think it overshadows the vaccine development for something like HIV? A little bit. I think that's a fair thought. Um, But those of us who have been in the field fully recognize the value and the contribution that this intense three and a half decades worth of effort contributed to the success of the COVID vaccine coming along uh, as it did. And thank goodness for that. I mean, we all want an HIV vaccine. Make no mistake about that. But the fact that the knowledge the approach, not just in the science and the lab and looking at the immune response, but also how the trials were conducted was impeccable. And all of that came from trials, the experience of trials for HIV vaccines, which have also been done extremely well. It's just that the outcome hasn't been um, hasn't been successful. And we're going to keep working on that. And I know and uh, in fact, that the mRNA platform that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have had such success with COVID are now going to be applied directly to HIV. So maybe this uh, will pay dividends for the HIV research community. So as you mentioned, you know, there's been research being conducted as to finding a vaccine for HIV AIDS for like the past three and a half, you know, decades, where would you say that we are today as far as progress with that? Like, what's the current status? Have we, has it gotten better since like maybe 2010? Or are we kind of in the same place? Has it plateaued? Has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? Where would you say we are with the progress of uh, finding a vaccine? I I think it's better for a couple reasons. One is through the failed attempts at a vaccine, we've learned a lot more about what we should be targeting and how we should go about it. I think the whole concept of broadly neutralizing antibodies, that is an antibody that can in, can uh, inhibit or bind to most every HIV variant, was a huge breakthrough because it demonstrated that if we can find a vaccine that can generate that type of antibody normally in people who get vaccinated, that is our pathway or one pathway to a successful HIV vaccine. We aren't there yet, but at least we have a roadmap map on what there is to do. So there has been progress. I think everyone's frustrated, though, that it's taken so long. And with the, your current work in AIDS research, what are you then focusing on right now? Well, personally, I'm focusing a lot on ending the HIV epidemic, especially in the southeast where I live. Uh, and that means really focusing on a lot of um, community and working with partnerships uh, across the Southeast to um, engage people who might be at risk for picking up HIV to work with us to design the programs that they think are going to work as opposed to us walking in and say, hey, try this. It's the opposite. We go to the community and say, you know what's going on here. Uh, What do you think? Here's a problem. What do you think is going to work? And we work with them and they come up with a lot of ideas that we then will implement over the next couple of years. And hopefully we're going to get to a 90-90-90 reduction that we've talked about for quite a while. So I'm excited about that. And that's what I've been turning my efforts towards. Of it, Dr. Michael Sag, an icon here on Let's Go There, always with great uh, information and work. Thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Again, Dr. Michael Sag is the director of the UAB Center for AIDS Research and professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases.
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back again. Sharjah Sells filling in for Ryan today here on Let's Go There. It's great to have you around. Thank you, Shira. Appreciate it. Uh, And coming up this hour, we are meeting the gay mixologist leading the alcohol-free spirits movement. How cool is that? I don't know if I'm here for that, but I understand. I love a good mocktail. (laughs) I do love a good mocktail. You know, we're all about inclusivity with uh, drinking. Yeah. (laughs) That's in 30 minutes. Plus, the story we teased all about Wanda Sykes and her conversation with Ellen, including her relationship with her parents and how Ellen helped her. Mm -hmm. That's coming up in the T-Report. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. As GOP states are ending extended unemployment benefits, Republicans continue to share their reason why. Here's Senator Rick Scott. You shouldn't be paying people more not to work. I mean, safety nets are for problems. Okay, if you have a job, you don't have a problem. Okay, this is a narrative that Republicans keep using, saying that people are not working because of these unemployment benefits. Which is wholly untrue. Yes. So On top of that, if you do have a job, oftentimes you do still have a problem because guess what? People are not being paid livable wages. The cost of living across this country has uh, continued to increase, but the hourly rate for a lot of people have not. Yep. Like the minimum wage has not increased. Look at Los Angeles, for example, right where we live. I mean, at this point... We keep saying the same thing over and over again. Literally, we are on a hamster wheel with these talking points. And I just don't I don't understand it. And I don't understand a lot of Republican constituents when it comes to this because they're suffering, too. But that's true. And yeah, the the voters are, too. But they keep voting in these folks who aren't. Well, that's why me. (laughs) Yes. So the IRS, speaking of unemployment, they will start issuing tax refunds on unemployment benefits this week. But some people may see a smaller fund or none at all. That's because if you have unpaid debt taxes or student loans, it will immediately be taken out. It's just an update on that. Oh, so we can... Okay, I'm not going to even go there. I I don't know if that's too inflammatory to say. I'm just thinking about what our president just did with sending billions of dollars overseas. I'll just leave that at that. But there's no bailout for American citizens. Okay. Listen, there's always money going somewhere. Except to the people of this country paying high taxes and who don't have free health care. I think we need like a town hall of some sort a new we've one had, we've had like plenty we need to we've had hall. plenty sure these people just do not care that is what is being communicated to me they do not care uh now we love talking about ufos and aliens here on the show Shar. former president barack obama offered a blunt assessment of the videos of unidentified aerial phenomenon that have continued to gain attention in the u.s saying what is true, and I'm actually being serious here, is that there is footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. And his comments add to the growing legitimacy of the reports of the unidentified phenomenon and the government's awareness of them at high levels. So he said this while appearing at the Late Late Show with James Corden, of course, offering some levity on the questions of alien aliens and his own curiosity around them, saying, we can't explain how they move their trajectory. They did not have an easily explainable pattern. And so I think that people still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what that is. The U.S. Navy has, by the way, for years confirmed the legitimacy of videos from jet fighters that track these unidentified objects. Do you uh, believe in aliens, Shira? I, I, I believe, I guess there's something there. But at the same time, like for all these, this evidence, we still don't have a lot. I believe that they're out there. 
we're not there's no way we can be the only ones and it's so audacious of us to Very think narcissistic. that we yes i mean but i mean that's human exactly. nature i guess that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Shar? Well, Wanda Sykes, uh, who is starring in Netflix's new show, The Upshaws, alongside Mike Epps and Kim Fields, just appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show earlier today, in which she credited Ellen for kind of, you know, paving the way. And with Ellen's representation, it then in turn helped Wanda oh. smooth things over with her parents as far as it pertained to her own sexuality. Hmm. Let's take a listen to what she had to say. And I don't know if this is true, but you said that uh, being on the show actually helped you uh, come out to your parents. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you know how you're you're just the uh, iconic, and you, and uh, the whole community just appreciates you because you know you you took the you took the blow, man. You you were the first one to really um, be out out like that. Sykes went on to say that uh, DeGeneres helped so many LGBTQ people and helped normalize things. And I'd venture to say, I agree. No matter where you, where, what you identify on the spectrum, Ellen's representation in the late 90s really helped clear a path uh, for a lot of different uh, people. And, and do you feel like kind of how how we've left things with her with all the good stuff she's done is is it sexist a lot of people she feels like her, people calling her out like if she was no. a guy no it's not sexist because you know what ellen's track record isn't good yep. it's not like this story is like one or two employees like we live in la i know at least four people that have once upon a time worked for that show no one has anything good to say i, I do have. not think it's misogynistic i think that the the chickens are coming home to roost so to speak and you know we say two truths can exist you can uh, you can be do an icon things. and do great things and also you can be, be philanthropic and you can also be a monster and no, I'm not calling Ellen a monster, but that is true. You can be philanthropic and great and save the animals and be vegan. And you can also be a terror to work with. Or hurt your animal that you own. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Hopefully not. Be a good person, folks. All right. Thank you, Shar, for that. Be kind. <laughs> exactly. Coming up on the show, what to say to someone who's leaving you on red? Speaking of kindness or lack thereof, that's next. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation. Find your next credit card or loan for a big purchase and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app after investing billions to light up our network t-mobile is america's largest 5g network plus right now you can switch keep your phone and we'll pay it off up to 800 dollars. see how you can save on every plan versus verizon and at&t at t-mobile.com slash across america up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Has someone in your life left you on red? Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? Well, we are here to help. Psychologist Dr. Charmaine Jackman joins us right now. Thanks for being here. Hi, good night, good evening. It's yes. awesome to be here. <laughs> we, we appreciate it. This is something that's very relatable. 
This has happened to all of us. Although, those who have the Samsung phones, the Android phones, you're lucky because we don't see when you leave us on red. You just well, don't respond. <laughs> I don't think it shows up when you have an Android. Well, girl, I wouldn't know. I don't know why you're looking at me. I got an iPhone. I know. When but... I have friends with Androids, like, they just don't answer. And well, I have an Android. But you don't need to see that. You just know the person. You send an email. Right. They're going to get it, right? You right. know they got That's it. What you think. <laughs> and even with iPhone, you can turn your read receipts off where it just says delivered. Because yes. I certainly did that. <laughs> oh, yes. I do that because I, it stresses me out. And But I love when someone else forgets. Uh, and then I could see that they've done it. At any rate, <laughs> what do you do if you're dealing with the silent treatment over text? Well, at first, right, it can definitely impact the ego, right? So it's like, okay, are they mad at me? Did I do something wrong? You probably go back in your mind trying to figure out what happened. Um, so first, I think it's really important to understand, like, the why. And if you know you've done something wrong, it's important for you to own up and maybe apologize. I find just checking in with people but not overdoing it. Like, are you okay? I haven't heard from you. Um, and then after a while, I think it's important to, like, step back. Um, but, you know, sometimes people have, like, depression or anxiety, and they're all telling themselves nobody wants them, nobody loves them. And so it's important to kind of maintain some level of contact, particularly if you're not sure what's going on with a person. I'm so glad that you brought up the ego because um, <laughs> it is one of those things you never know. And even beyond depression and anxiety, someone could be in the shower or working on something like, you know, we really, really have to be cognizant of the stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, OK, I'm someone I can be a bit withdrawn sometimes, but this has mm -hmm. developed over, you know, the past 14 months. I think it's important to be gentle, you okay. know, in the COVID of it all. How can we circle back, like checking in with people without being overbearing? Um, I think it's important for you to say, hey, haven't heard from you. I just want you to know I, I'm, you know, I'm here looking out for you, make sure everything is okay. I think just a, a not necessarily asking them to respond or like asking any, making any demands of them, but just to check in. I, I see you, right? I see you. Um, you're important to me. I care about you. I think sending those positive messages are helpful. Um, but again, not sending them, you know, like five in a row and right, then every right. day, right? So trying to have that fine balance between checking in and letting the person know that you're here um, while allowing them for space. Sometimes people need space. We don't know what's going on with them. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're each going through our own battle, that's for sure. And, you know, it also depends on the relationship you have with that person. I feel like how you approach maybe a f longtime friend, a colleague, or even someone you're dating could be different. Like how you internalize the red text right. from someone you're dating could be mm -hmm. a bit different than a friend or is it like how do you deal with that nuance right if it's someone that's new um that you don't know that well <laughs> you don't have that close relationship i think it's important to you know again reach out a couple times but if they're not getting back to you i think it's okay to kind of give them that space they may have moved on right or they may not be great communicators um, and can't tell you, well, you know, I'm not interested in this relationship anymore, right? It's not working for me. So sometimes people don't know how to communicate, you know, when they need space or 
you know, that they want to end the friendship. That's that's kind of a hard conversation to have, especially in these times. Uh, yeah, uh, I just so had to do it last it, month. Yeah. You did. I did. It was you were the one who painful. did it to someone else. Yes, it was extremely painful. It still is. But Shar, were you the person? Were you leaving them on red, or did you? Nip oh no, in the no, no, no! You know that I do not do the ghosting thing. I use my I words. I appreciate that. Yes, I use my <laughs> words. Okay, and I, you know, but I will own up. There was a message that you know they wrote me that I did leave on red because I was. I was processing how I was coming to the conclusion of these interactions and how they were no mm-hmm. longer serving me. And it's been very, very painful. So yeah. I have to ask, I'm literally still bouncing back from it. <laughs> Sorry, we threw, you, we threw you in there last oh, minute. Oh no, it's okay. Listen, I can talk about it. Now I have to ask, when you are on, well, let's say you're like in my shoes, what tips can you offer to people um, who might struggle with responding back when people write them or people might double text. Like, are there any tips that you can offer for productivity? Say that again. Like, are there any tips that you can offer? Let's say like, I'm the person who's not responding, but I would like to, I just don't know what to say. Are there any tips that you can offer for people who might mm-hmm. be dealing with depression or some sort of text anxiety on the or receiving anything like end, that? If you're on the receiving end. Right, right. Yeah, and I think it's okay, again, if, if someone you know well or you're getting to know, just say, you know, I'm having a hard time. And sometimes, it's, you know, we rely often, I think we over-rely on text sometimes to communicate. And it's not, it's really not the best way to communicate um, difficult things or challenging conversations. So it might be to say, like, you know, I would love to reach out. I'm, trying, I'm finding hard, you know, hard to say what I need to say over text. Can we get on the call? Can we meet for a socially distance walk, right? So maybe finding other ways to kind of communicate. I think text, trying to communicate really challenging things over text is hard. I, t- I know it's a generational yeah. thing, but <laughs> I, I, don't rec- I don't recommend it. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Things can get so lost in translation and text, including tone and intention. Like, mm-hmm. pick up the phone. I know I picked up the phone. Uh-huh. It was a phone yeah. conversation. I'm not writing essays in the in the text message. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for being here as we navigate this. We appreciate it. I hope that it helps. And for you up there, just respond to the text. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Even if it's simple, like get, treat people like how you use your words. Be use your words, right. people. Use your words. Or, use what they say or don't say as information. But that was uh, psychologist Dr. Charmaine Jackman. Thanks so much. Thank you for, ha- thanks for having me. Take care. You too. Coming Bye-bye. up, we are meeting the gay mixologist leading the alcohol-free spirits movement. Yeah, we're going to be telling you more about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A lot of us have been talking about our alcohol use during the pandemic. We all have our go-to drink. Mm -hmm. Well, our next guest has gotten attention going in the other direction. John DeBerry joins us, author of Drink What You Want, The Subjective Guide to Making Objectively Delicious Cocktails. Thanks for being here, John. Hi, thanks for having me. So when I say the other direction, I mean you've become known for your non-alcoholic drinks. So first, before we get into that, uh, how did you get into this? Uh, it's a, kind of a long story, but the short, it, short yeah. version is that I was a, a fancy bartender in New York City for a lot of years. I started as a bartender at a bar called PDT in the East Village, and I worked for Momofuku for, for nine years um, as the bar director for the group. And... You know, obviously, I was focused on traditional cocktails with like gin, whiskey, vodka, whatever. Um, but really noticed that there was like a severe shortage of credible non-alcoholic or zero-proof drinks. Um, 
both on menus and also like in the market in terms of like things you could buy in a store. Um, so I always really had an eye towards that, both just because it was technically challenging to make something that was like delicious and interesting and complicated um, without using alcohol or spirits, um, but also just from an accessibility standpoint, um, knowing that there were people who were kind of getting left out and trying to um, to reach those people somehow. So I uh, really just got more and more interested in it. Um, I wrote a cocktail book uh, that is you know a broad spectrum book. It has all kinds of drinks in it, including non-alcoholic drinks. Um, and then along the way, kind of intertwined with the writing process, um, I developed a line of um, zero-proof botanical drinks uh, called Proto. Um, and that launched last year, um, which is an interesting time to launch a product. But um, but yeah, I've seen a, a lot of uh, response from people and, and the market is really growing. And I think that there's something of a tipping point um, now, as you said, I think people are using the pandemic as an opportunity to examine a lot of things uh, in their life and kind of how they use alcohol and for what purpose is something that I think a lot of people are, are thinking about right now. So this was aimed at to well th- you approach this in an effort to be like more inclusive for like people who might be struggling with alcoholism maybe um not 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 specifically for me it was really about creating something that that tasted a certain way um and leaving out the alcohol was was kind of a feature that i wanted to include um but really it's for everybody i think that there's so many different um opportunities to drink delicious things and you don't always want those things to contain alcohol just like you wouldn't want to drink you know coffee right before bed you know there's a time and a place for everything uh, so it's really about giving people options um, and kind of unlocking that in people's minds that you don't always have to drink alcohol if you want to drink something fancy um, and I think that's sort of the market's reflecting that there's tons of spirits and all other kinds of things that are that are launching all the time to to meet that demand. So how do you go about finding like your flavors? Like I imagine you to be some sort of chemist in the kitchen. Like, how do you go about replicating, (laughs) replicating the taste of alcohol or replicating some of the like more traditionally famous, quote unquote, famous alcoholic beverage and picking your flavors? Like walk us through that process. Right. Yeah, that's a really it's a really complicated problem. And, you know, there's kind of two Two approaches that I'm seeing right now. One is to kind of mimic uh, something that's already out there. So there's a lot of like gin replacements or whiskey or tequila, um, things that kind of almost like want to trick you into thinking that they're have alcohol in them, but they don't. And oh. those are really great for making cocktails and you know getting creative in, in those kinds of uh, situations. But then there's another kind of genre of alcohol-free drinks that just kind of exist on their own and don't try to replicate another experience and are just sort of starting from a fresh perspective. And that's what Proto is, you know, for me, I wanted to create something that tasted a certain way um, and use the tools that I had to make it taste the way it does without, without alcohol. And the the main challenge with alcohol uh, free drinks is that as a kind of a a base for flavor, like physically alcohol is very easy to work with. It's, it's it dissolves things. It's a preservative um, it has a really nice texture that people like. Mm. So when you're using like water as mm-hmm. a base, you have to sort of get really creative and use lots of um, tricks and, and get really clever uh, in order to make something that has the same level of like complexity and yeah. um, 
you know, kind of intellectual uh, in- interest. Uh, and so I really like I, I've been making drinks for over 10 years at that, at, the, at that point. So it really was me like in my in my kitchen, like infusing different botanicals into water and developing like all these really complicated, <laughs> overly complicated clarification techniques. And fortunately, I was able to scale the recipe up. So I don't I'm not no longer making it in my kitchen. But, mm-hmm. you know, if it really was almost almost literally like a test tube uh, situation <laughs> for, in my for a few months as I was uh, you know working on those flavors which they're really based in a lot of different kind of alcohol products like um like Italian like bitter liqueurs called Amaro. It's okay. also vermouth. You're making me and, thirsty, um, John. We actually we actually need to wrap up, but I, I just want to say thank you. I do think the alcohol-free movement is growing, and it's not going to be just about sobriety in the future. Exactly. That, that was John DeBerry, author of Drink What You Want, The Subjective Guide to Making Objectively Delicious Cocktails. Also, check out his alcohol-free spirit proto. It's mm. out now, right? Yep, it's out okay. now. Drinkproto.com, P-R-O-T-E-A-U. Amazing. Uh, Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Coming up, Naomi Campbell welcomed her first child at 50, which has brought up the question, is it irresponsible to have kids later in life? We debate that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Naomi Campbell welcomed her first child, a baby girl at 50. She posted this on social media. And everyone has, of course, been celebrating this today. But it brings up the question, how old is too old to have kids? Or or is it irresponsible to have kids at an older age? Of course, we love hearing from you at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. But Char, what is your take? So I've been thinking about this and Mm -hmm. I do not think it's fundamentally, I do not think it's irresponsible for someone who has Naomi Campbell's resources and, you know, access to Naomi Campbell, you know, means, so to speak. Janet Jackson is a more mature mom. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, Tamron Hall, talk show host Tamron Hall is a more mature mom. And I think that the conversation needs to uh, be equal in that. There are tons of of men popping the Viagra at 80 years old and creating new life. Yeah, because they and can. No one, and no one, you know, is having this conversation when it pertains to them. I mean, I think that actually I would say I'm having this thought for everyone right now. It just happens that we've been more acceptable of men of doing course, that. Of course, because patriarchy uh, rules reigns supreme in the world. Like, totally. Everybody turns a blind eye to, like I said, there's men that procreate at much older than 50 years old yeah and, and maybe because there's the idea that uh, that we need you know children need their mom it's like that more yeah. than their dad no, that, <laughs> no offense no, i mean honestly. you know i don't know there's something about that yeah uh, that matriarchs let's uh, talk about the power of the matriarchy yes but i think you know as someone who's just turned 38 and i think about having children what makes me sad is that even if i have children in my 40s like you know realistically you think about you know, lifespan and my timeline. And I'm like, I'm hoping, you know, I live until 111, as I said. Yes. But that means just like not a lot of time with your kids. And yeah, you're 70 when they're, well, I guess I'm going to be third. Wait, when they're, can you, someone do the math when I'm 70, how old will they be if I have them at 40? 40, well, 50, 30. 20, that's 30. A 30 year difference. They'll be 30. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm bad at math and I'm sorry. I everyone. mean, well, my mom, in all honesty, my mom is 
30 years. We have a 30 year gap. And she when she was coming up, that was looked at as, oh, my God, you waited till 30 to have kids because everyone was popping them out at 22 or younger and things like. But my mom and I think it's important that every woman, you know, twist the, the, the lock to her own apartment. Like, I feel like we cannot rush like the natural cycles of life. Everyone's journey looks different. And what's the point of rushing to have children if if you're giving birth in an unstable environment because your partner's not there or like to me you got to do what works for you and unfortunately the way a lot of relationships unfold nowadays like everybody's just talking like there's no incentive really yeah and the benefit of technology and the fact we can have babies later is is great. The benefit of it is we get to go through life and be in a better the, place. But However, with all the global warming and stuff, who's trying to bring new life into this situation? I mean, that, if you really want to be a, a, a good person on this earth, you know, talk about saving the environment. Don't have kids. But life is just already stressful enough as it is. I could not imagine <laughs> being on air with you right now, but also thinking about oh. how I have to go home and cook or I have to go pick my child up from the like. I, I tip my hat to all oh, the totally. parents out there. So listen, it's not it's not irresponsible if you can do it. However, it's, it's sad to think about the time you might not have with them as you get older. Yeah. And that's the reality. So it's just important to take that into consideration. But that's the reality of where we're at. Don't people have everyone has children for selfish reasons. Everyone. <laughs> what, right? Is it not is it selfish to want to see a mini me? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what you think. Uh, is it irresponsible to have kids? You know, as we age. As you mature. At LGT show. Mature, I like that. LGT show on social media is where you can find us. Let's go there. With, with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Now, a gay couple are featured in a new ad campaign that celebrates sex later in life. I'm all about this. The UK campaign called Let's Talk the Joy of Later Life Sex features long-term gay couple Mark and Andrew among straight couples and really seeks to break the taboo of discussing sex later in life. Here's a little clip. Now, this is so needed and I think is so beautiful. Uh, For some context, Andrew and Mark are two men in their 60s. They've been together for 31 years. And they show in the ad that they're posing nude in a loving embrace. And it includes a kiss and all that fun stuff. But what what are your thoughts, Char? Do you think this is as beautiful as I think it is? I mean, I think it is. Yeah, for sure. But I don't understand I guess representation matters in all spheres because I've never pictured um, mature people not getting down in the sheets well we we know they do but that that doesn't mean that people see it a lot right like maybe you see it in like indie films like wow this is so are you saying that we need to see like Robert De Niro and Diane Keaton in a scene maybe (laughs) Meryl Streep and I don't know Al Pacino it's it's not as uh, popular as seeing young people getting it on including in ads and campaigns or in YouTube videos that is true so we we need to be just like we've made uh, things more inclusive in the modeling world by including all different types of body shapes and sizes and body positivity we do I'd be open to to seeing that which is ne- why it's nice to see a it's romance with an like an older couple as well. Yeah, well, especially as as far as gay men are concerned, you know, the elders need to be highlighted. That's what I'm talking about. And as we all age up, actually, because we grew up in the media generation, social media will be interesting to see if it becomes more normalized. Or- oh, I think so, because we're taking, I feel like as generations 
come and go, we're taking better care of ourselves, just like the generation behind us will take better care of themselves. Like I just mentioned, 50 is the new 30. You get the right moisturizer and you get on that elliptical. And I'm just saying 50 year olds don't look the same today as they did 20 years ago. And I hope that we find comfort in seeing these men and all these couples in their 60s or 70s or whatever age doing what they've got to do and loving each other. I have no complaints about this. I'm all for it. Yes. Get in where you fit in. Exactly. Yes, Queen. That does it for our show today. If you want to nominate also someone for our Yes Queen or just to recommend a story for us to cover, slide into our DMs at LGT Show. We'd love to hear from you. We are back tomorrow, but I do want to say thank you to Shar. Thank you. Uh, you're are you back tomorrow? You're no, back, you're I'll back be back later Friday. This week. Okay, I'm losing track of time. Friday and Monday, Shar Giselle is back with us here on Let's Go There. I appreciate you for being here. Thank you, Shara. It's been fun. Thank you. We need to color coordinate again. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back uh, tomorrow weekdays here on Channel Q, two to six p.m. Pacific, five to nine p.m. Eastern, live on Tomorrow Show. How to prepare your pandemic animal for your post-vax return to normal life. It's going to be a sad day for all our animals and pets. And why the coronavirus vaccines may not work in some people. We've got those answers tomorrow. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to these Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. It's that easy. We are sending you love and light. And stick around for Loveline with Dr. Chris where he's covering nomophobia, which is the fear of no phone. Oh, I feel that. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.